0: you're listening to the city church tallahassee podcast for more information about city church please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com well good morning and welcome to city church and welcome to the last sunday before easter at the civic Center. Is anybody else excited about that we hope that you can join us at good friday at ruby diamond and also at the civic center sunday morning my name is hunter levine i'm the salt director here at city church which means I work with our college students who go to Florida State, TCC, and FAMU, and I get the opportunity of helping equip them for the work of ministry, as Ephesians 4 teaches us, and coming alongside them for them to be able to lift up the gospel on campus and to learn what it looks like to be a part of a healthy local church. I'm excited to be in this series because I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an amazing book. It opens with the resurrection of Jesus we see God begin to raise up leaders, and we get to see the foundations of the church, the early church, laid right before our eyes. And something I love about the book of Acts is that it's gripping. It's an amazing story. It's filled with ups and downs. There's moments of celebration. There's moments of trial. There's tension. There's adversity. And there's a whole lot of surprises as we read the book of Acts. We're surprised first just to see Jesus resurrect. Because at the beginning of the book of Acts, it almost looks like a hopeless moment for the movement of Christianity. And we see Jesus resurrect. We're surprised to see him ascend to heaven and entrust the earthly ministry to the disciples, even Peter who had denied Jesus in the Gospels. We're surprised to see thousands of people repent and place their faith in Jesus at Pentecost. We're surprised to see healings and miracles and ultimately surprised to see a small following of people who learned and lived with a man from Bethlehem, seemingly insignificant place, who died on a cross, a public and shameful death, and to see a handful of disgraced disciples leading a global movement that Acts 17 would describe as a group of people who were turning the world upside down. And all this is happening is God is working through his people. And even that was surprising because God doesn't do that in a way that we would do it. It's surprising who he uses, how he uses them. He uses leaders like Priscilla and Aquila who were a married couple who were not famous, but they were faithfully leveraging their life together and their home together for the gospel. He uses a crippled man in Acts 9 who is healed And he uses this man to demonstrate the power of God to people who likely overlooked him. He uses Stephen, who was stoned. Tabitha, who was a woman living in Joppa that was working faithfully to the Lord. And we're told that she was known for her good works and mercy. Just a faithful follower of Jesus. And many other disciples and Christians who don't even get a name in the book. Everyday faithful people using their life for God's purposes. Not just kings and celebrities and influencers and thought leaders with big platforms and intellects and influential jobs, everyday people, even people like Ananias, who we'll see in our story today, who's often not much spoken about, but we actually see God use him to reach the Apostle Paul, who ends up raising up significant, important leaders like Timothy and Ephesus and other church pastors, and ultimately would use Paul to write a massive chunk of the New Testament. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts 9. That's where we're going to be this morning. And this is the perfect text as we head into Easter for two reasons. The first reason is because Paul loved Easter. Paul was all in. He was wearing colors that weren't flattering. He was taking awkward pictures. He was pretending like peeps was good candy. Like he was, he was all in. Just so you know, good candy does not need holidays, okay? If Peeps was actually good, you'd see people eating it year-round, all right? Just throwing it out there. Just as you put together your Easter baskets, stick with Reese's. But Paul was all in, not the event of Easter, but the message of Easter, that Jesus Christ is resurrected. And so, as we head into Easter, we know that Paul was all in for it. But it's also a great reminder because Although what we celebrate on Easter, the work of salvation is complete on the cross. Jesus on the cross said this, it is finished. Meaning the work accomplished on the cross is finished. That we can be fully loved and received and spend eternity with Christ because of what he did that day. But God's work through his people is not. The Bible shows us that God's work through his people is not finished as he continues to point us and build his kingdom. And before Paul ever loved Easter, the message of Easter, Paul actually made it his life mission to stop the spread of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts 8, we see that Paul, who was then named Saul, was ravaging the early church. And in Acts 26, 9 through 11, Paul called it his obsession, and it was said that he was breathing murders and threats. See, Paul wasn't just doing it. He was actually breathing persecution of the early church. It was what he lived for. It would be like today if you are leaving here and you see a a Costa sticker on a truck, you could say, oh, that person probably breathes fishing. You see the the Disney season pass holder magnet. It's got to be a magnet because you've got to be able to resell the Honda Odyssey, so you can't put the real sticker on. The magnet, right? This person breathes Disney, and they're probably a little, little extra. You know what I mean? You see a Gold's Gym sticker, this person probably breathes working out and skips leg day, you know? Like we have ways that we try to communicate that. And what Paul was known for, what Paul breathed and lived was stopping the early church from spreading. From stopping people from talking about Jesus. So he had the Pharisee life sticker. He tweeted about it. He talked about it. He dreamed about stopping the gospel and all who tried. And what we're going to see in the text this morning is where Paul encounters the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and where God would change the trajectory of his life and move somebody whose goal was to stop churches and use them for a new purpose of starting churches. And we would see a, a, a Pharisee, a religious leader who was thought to be a powerful man, we will see him laid broken and weak before the Lord. So that he could understand the gospel and be used for his purposes. So I'm just going to read this story to us and we'll talk about it. Acts 9, you can read along or you can listen. It says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, meaning Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled, he was nearing Damascus, and a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city, and you will do what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no more. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by hand. Here's their powerful, fearless leader being picked up off the ground and led in his weakness by hand and led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days and did not eat and drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am. The Lord said, get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief of priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument, to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road when you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc? for those who called on the name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding in the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned about their plot. So they were watching the city gates day and night and intended to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Sisera and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Here is a man whose sole purpose in life, the thing he dreamed about and lived for, was stopping the spread of the church, encounter the resurrected Jesus Christ, Be filled by the Holy Spirit, saved and used to help the church grow in number. This is Paul. There's three things that we can learn about the gospel and God's mission through Paul's story. The first is that the gospel is for all people. For all people. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument meaning that God has a purpose, has a plan, and he's a, a tool and instrument to accomplish that, to take my name to the Gentiles, to the kings and to the Israelites. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. In the gospel, what we see is the, in Acts, we see the gospel breaking out and it's coming to all people, to the Jews and the Gentiles. And what the scriptures would say, every tongue and tribe that God's purpose is that people from all different groups would know him as Lord and bow their knee. And see, this is a, a, an easy thing for us to kind of just sit here and take because we're used to that kind of being an acceptable thing in today's world for missionaries to go overseas and to bring the gospel to different people. But, but this is actually a, a radical idea at the time. And even Ananias was struggling with taking the gospel to somebody like Paul, and when we say the gospel going out to all people, we don't just mean all kinds of people, the Samaritans and the Jews and kings who are influential. We mean, we mean everyone, to the rich and the poor, the gospel going out to the religious and the rebels, to the socially acceptable and the social outcast, to the popular and the unknown. The gospel is for all people. And what we see in the book of Acts is that the gospel is for all people and it's being brought to all people and Paul is being brought into God's plan. And this wasn't just some sort of theoretical idea taught to Paul. This was part of Paul's story, too, because something interesting about Paul is that to some people, he was a hero, and to some people, he was a villain. Paul had some people who thought that he was the perfect example of what religious devotion looked like, and he had some people who couldn't even imagine being in the same city as him out of fear. To the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time, Paul was a role model. He was someone that you would want your young son to grow up and be like Paul, who's zealously going out and stopping the spread of the of the gospel. This is why in Philippians three, Paul says, "For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by spirit and truth. We boast in Christ Jesus, and we don't put confidence in the flesh and our pedigree and and what type of people we are. But then Paul says this. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul's like, I'm the man when it comes to that stuff, to that life. In verse 7, you've heard this before, but everything... That was a gain to me. I count loss because of Christ. There are a lot of people that looked at Paul as a hero. Look at that. I mean, he's from the right family. He went to the right school. He's doing the right things. Some people, Paul was a hero, but to the early church, Paul was a monster. He was blood hungry. He even participated in Stephen's death in Acts 6. This is why in 1 Timothy, Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy would say, I'm the chief of sinners. Nobody's rebelled worse than me. Nobody's sinned worse than me. He says, Timothy, I'm, I, I, I've received mercy for this reason that Christ might demonstrate his patience for me. So to some, he was a hero. I mean, the right person from the right family doing the right things. To some people, he was a, a villain persecuting the church but even though Paul was seen as all those things, here's what Paul knew, that he was a hero to some, he was a villain to others, but he was a saint to God. Not because of his past, not because of his family, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that he learned about on the road to Damascus. And this is why we see this in the Bible. The gospel is not just going out to all people, but it's speaking to all people. It speaks to those of us who are swell up with pride and those of us who drown in self-regret. It speaks to those of us who say, God could never love me because of my past, because of the mistakes I've made, because of the reputation I've had. I've destroyed my life. Nobody wants to hear anything from me. God could never love me. And it speaks to those of us who think, I don't really need God at all. I'm doing pretty good. It speaks to the self righteous and it speaks to the self destructive. As we head into Easter, we get the chance to lift up the gospel to a broken and hurting city that needs to hear this simple thing, the thing that we see in Acts 9, which is this, that nobody is too far off. Nobody is too far off. There's no such thing as a waste of time. There's no wasted invites. There's no wasted prayers. There's no sin too great, mistake too bad, wound too deep to be healed and transformed by the message of Easter. And throughout Paul's ministry, throughout Paul's life, we see that the greatest shaping element was not his religious upbringing, it wasn't his education, it wasn't his heinous past, it was the power of the gospel and what he came to learn in this moment in Acts, in Acts 9, the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for all people, not just people groups, but all types of people. Number two, the gospel is God's plan. In Job 42, Job says, I know that you can do anything and I know that your plans cannot be thwarted. Nobody can stop what God is doing. He is fully in control. And in the book of Acts, we see this the entire time, God's work at, at hand. And the lead character, if we want to call it that, is not Peter, is not Paul, but actually in Acts, the lead character is God himself. And this is true in all the Bible. We see that God is the one true hero and that ultimately all of this is centered on Jesus Christ who came and died and resurrected, not that we could have a holiday to celebrate, but that we could have an eternity to join him. It's his plan and God's inviting Paul in this moment into it to be an instrument for his purposes. And God's great plan is not to build a country. It's not to simply improve our lives, our marriages, our relationships. God's plan is to build a kingdom. It's so much better than anything else. And Paul saying, and God's saying, I'm gonna bring Paul into that. And somebody who wants to stop churches is gonna help start churches. Somebody who wants persecuted is actually gonna be someone who's going to encourage. And look at God's involvement in Paul's story. I mean, it's not just a plan. I mean, God is involved in his plan. He comes to Paul. He physically intervenes in his life. He speaks to him just like he speaks to us in his word. And he saves him and he heals him and he chooses him to be an instrument for his kingdom. And here's the amazing thing God's no less involved in our lives. He's not any less involved. He's not any less sovereign and in control. He's not any less knowing. He's involved in the inner workings of our lives. All of us who are saved, we're saved from our own path to Damascus. Every person here. In retrospect, even in my story, I can see God's fingerprints all over my story. I don't have time to go into all of it, but growing up, I loved playing sports. When I was in eighth grade, I transferred to NFC, a a private school in town, so that I could play JV and varsity football as an eighth grader. I'm six foot three right now. I was six foot three in the eighth grade, okay? And... What I would do is I started on JV, and the coach at the time was gracious enough for me to try to, he really wanted me to learn, I played defensive end, he wanted me to learn how to get reps at the varsity level, and so what they would do is like our team would run up the score like 20, 30 points, enough where people like me couldn't mess it up at the time, and then we would go in and play, and I was playing a game in Jacksonville, Florida as an eighth grader playing varsity, and I was playing, and a guy fell across my leg and snapped my tibia in half, broke my leg. Now, the doctor said that it was actually a good thing that it didn't blow out my knee. If, you, if you're familiar with knee injuries, joint injuries are, are definitely uh, more challenging to recover from. But I was, that night, I was laying in the hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, and the doctor came in and said what you never want to hear a doctor say, which is, well, that's weird. <laughs> like Nothing gets ever going to follow from a doctor saying that's weird. So I'm like, you don't want to be weird. You want to be like, no big deal. And so I'm sitting there as an eighth grader, and he says, your growth plates are closed. And the x-ray that they took, they could see my growth plates are closed. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, you're, you're done growing. And I'm like, you know, doing what you do, all of us do when we go to the doctor. Like, we were like, hey, I know that you went to school for seven years, and this is your career and passion and everything, but, like, I'm going to argue with you for a moment here because, you know, I read an article one time. And so I'm like, actually having this conversation, and I'm like, no, no, I can't be done growing. Like, I'm in eighth grade, and my cousin's 6'8". I'm like, sports, are my, sports is my life. It's what I breathe. Like, my only, literally in eighth grade, my only goal in life was just to be a bigger human. <laughs> like, right? I was just like, I'm just going to get taller and bigger. That's, that's my game plan. I really have not thought much further than this. He's like, no, you're done. And I've not grown <laughs> since the eighth grade. And on my ride back from Jacksonville, I wasn't hurting from the pain of breaking my leg. I was hurting from the pain of God breaking the dream in me for my identity to be found in sports. Four months later, after the season was over, an offensive line coach at our school invited me to FCA camp where I ended up entering with a place of brokenness just like Paul in hearing and receiving the gospel and becoming a Christian through the grace of Christ. And I realized that had God not broke my leg and broke that dream, I probably wouldn't have gone to that camp. I probably wouldn't have been receptive to the gospel. And I can't imagine where I would be. And I bet in your life, if you slow down, you could see God's fingerprints all over it. The way that He uses people, the way that He uses circumstances to move His kingdom forward and to move us closer to Him. God is no less involved in our lives today. We just might not see it. God has a plan. It cannot be thwarted. And God's plan is not just to reach us and to save us, but also to use us. This brings us to the last point. The gospel leads to going to going, in the Bible and in Paul's story, we see that divine intervention leads to human obedience, that people interact with the resurrected Christ, and the the result is that they want to live an obedient life for Him, not to, to receive God's love, but because they've already received it in Christ. I mean, first we have the obedience of Ananias in this story, who I don't want to overlook, because you can imagine being Ananias, and God comes to you in a vision. He's like, I'm going to send you to share the gospel with somebody. And Ananias is like, here I am, God, send me. Who's it going to be? And he's like, you know, uh, Saul. Excuse me? The guy that's been killing and putting people in jail and like has the Pharisee life bumper sticker? Like that guy? You know, Jesus, I don't know about that. I was thinking more uh, different people group or no, Saul, one of the most dangerous men in the world. Okay, God. All right. I'll go meet Saul. Where like in a public place where it's really safe and there's like lots of people around on a road in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by all of his people. Okay, Lord. I'll go. I mean think about the obedience of Ananias. Somebody that often gets overlooked. If you walked around and asked Christians, "Who's Ananias?" most people probably wouldn't know. But here's God using him and using his obedience to lead Paul to Christ. But also the obedience of Paul to follow. That even though that if you look at Paul, it talks about there's a line and it's kind of weird. It's like I'm gonna he's gonna be my instrument, yes, and suffer for my sake. Hmm. Paul's ministry was, like, we look at Paul, we're like, this guy had it going on. Paul had a tough ministry, like multiple shipwrecks, bit, bit, bit by snakes, being snuck out of cities. Like, basically every time Paul went in a city to do ministry somewhere, people wanted to kill him. <laughs> Not going well. And then on top of that, the disciples initially early on didn't want to receive him. Paul was obedient. This is who God has called me to be. He was somebody who would be obedient in encouragement, to encourage young pastors, to encourage fellow church members to use their gifts for the kingdom of God, and in evangelism, lifting up the gospel of Jesus Christ with his life. And that's what we're called to do, to encourage one another and to evangelize by lifting up the gospel of Christ. And here's what I've learned over the past couple of years. There's two main reasons we don't, we don't do it, two lies we fall into. The first one is I don't know enough, like I can't argue with people about the age of the earth I don't know what to say about dinosaurs. Like, I'm just not the guy. So we say, I don't know enough, so I'm not going to do it. I'll let an expert do it. Or we say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Like, I just, my past, like, I'm just too broken. Like, honestly, I'd be doing Jesus a a disfavor by being associated with him because of what I went through. And we tell ourselves those lies that lead us to disobedience. One of my favorite stories is in Mark 5, Jesus is doing his earthly ministry, and they come to this place, and there's a man who's possessed by demons, and he's cutting himself, and he's breaking chains, and he's the talk of town, as you can imagine. And Jesus gets into this town, and he goes to this man, and he casts the demons out of him. And and he falls before Jesus, and he's got so much gratitude. And then Mark 5, verse 18, I want you to see this. And as he was getting into the boat, Jesus, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus, let me come with you. I want to be on your team. I want to travel with you. I want to tell people what you did. I'll I'll, I'll speak to people. And then verse 19, Jesus didn't let him go. Didn't let him go. Jesus said, no, you can't come. Instead, he told him this. Go home to your own people and report to them how much that the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So he went out and he began to proclaim in the city how much Jesus had done for him. They were all amazed. He didn't say go out and answer every question they had. He didn't say go out and argue with every person that you meet. He said just go out and tell them what Jesus has done for you. And can we be honest for a moment? This guy had some solid reasons to not obey. He was not well-trained. He didn't go to seminary. <laughs> like, he didn't have a huge library. He didn't grow up in the church. The dude was just like demon-possessed. God cast the demons out of him, and then like now he's just out there. And can we also be honest? Like these people had seen him act crazy and seen him naked. Like it is hard to come back from that, right? Like uh, Jesus, I think it might be better if I have kind of like a relocation plan type of ministry. You know what I mean? But Jesus like, no, you go here. And you know what they did? They were amazed. And here's what I I want us to understand, that anyone who follows Christ can point others to him. You might not know every answer, and if you think you know every answer, that's a whole other problem. But you can point people to him Jesus used murderers to reach pastors. He used crazy men to reach a city. He used people who were seen as traitors to reach their peers. He used uneducated fishermen to reach the world. He used a teenage engaged couple to bring about Jesus in this world. Before that, in the Old Testament, he used a young boy named David who was a shepherd to become king. He used Rahab who was a whore to save a whole nation. He used the servant to rescue Moses who would rescue a nation. He can use you. He's used worse. So the question is not, can God use me but rather, will I be faithful? Because Acts 9 asked that question. Ananias is faithful, Paul is faithful. The question is not, can God use me, but will I be faithful? Here's two simple takeaways I bring before you. The first is to believe in the power of the gospel. We don't just sing it and preach it and talk about it. We want to believe it for ourselves that God can love us despite our shortcomings and mistakes and for others around us that nobody is too far off. And the second is to participate in God's plan that every single person in this room, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of this church family. You are a part of what we're doing. Just because someone's on a website or wears a microphone doesn't mean that they're any more a part of it than you. Do you believe that God is big enough and sovereign enough to use all of us for his purposes if we will lay our lives before him in obedience? We have reason to celebrate. We have reason to get excited about Easter. Easter. We have reason to invite our friends and family we have reason to forgive people who have wronged us we have reason to have hope in a world that feels dark and hopeless so let's go let's be an obedient church of faithful everyday people who make much of christ i'm going to pray and we're going to take the lord's supper together father we're grateful for this opportunity to gather together this morning to sing your truth to study your word and to enjoy community with one another father i pray that you would help us to be a church that keeps the gospel at the center But also is filled up with everyday people who encourage and evangelize. Father, we pray as we head into Good Friday and Easter that we would leverage our life the next few days to invite our friends, our family, our neighbors, and that ultimately that people in this city would come to know you and that we would see something like Acts 17, the city turned upside down. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to gather together. We ask that you continue to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to transition into a time where we take the Lord's Supper if you haven't received one of these packets, you can slip to the back and grab one. Well, the Lord's Supper is something we try to do regularly here at City Church because Jesus commanded us to do it as a reminder of his work on the cross. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, it says that Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take and eat the bread. The bread represented Jesus's body, which sat on the cross in our place for our sins. And the juice represents Jesus's blood, which God used to cleanse us of all of our rebellion and unrighteousness against him. In Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus said in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Please take and drink the juice. Let's pray. Father, as we gather together this morning and we think about the work on the cross where your body sat in our place, the blood that was shed that forgave us of our sins. Father, I pray that you would help us to be mindful of that. Father, as we head into Easter, I pray that you would give those of us in this room the same boldness, that word that we see in Acts 9, Father, that we would boldly speak of you, that we would invite people even when it's uncomfortable, that we would love people even when it's difficult, Father, and that ultimately that all of us would live on mission to see this city and as many people as, as we can, Father, know about the good news of your gospel. Father, we pray you continue to bless this church and the time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.